Someone has said, who you are today is decided by what you chose yesterday. For example, you might want to get into medical school and you may make a brilliant doctor. But you aren't a doctor because in high school, in the afternoons when you should have been studying, you chose basketball over studying. And because you chose to play basketball, that is why you are not a doctor today. And that's at least what many of us tell ourselves. As John Orkberg writes in his book, All the Places to Go, he notes Columbia University researcher Sheena Yegar had found that the average person makes about 70 decisions every day. And that's 25,500 decisions over a year that each one of us make. And over the average lifespan of 70 years, you and I make close to 1.7 million decisions. 1.7 million decisions. As the 20th century philosopher Albus Camus once said, life is a sum of all of your choices. And so you put all of those 1.7 million decisions and choices together, and that is who you are. Every day you and I make choices. Choices that affect our lives in major and minor ways. And the ability to make right choices in life is something we call discernment. Discernment is the ability to clearly differentiate what is right and what is wrong. Do you have the discernment in the decisions and the choices you make to differentiate light from darkness, from what is truth, from error, what is righteous and what is evil. It is often because men and women do not discern well and make the right choices that they often mess up their lives. We're currently preaching through a sermon series entitled Kings and Kingdoms, looking at what pitfalls to avoid in order not only to start well, but also to finish well. Many people in life begin very well. But the sad reality is that they end very badly because of the life decisions they make, because they are not discerning in the choices they make. We've looked at the pitfalls of discontent and of distrust. And this morning, we want to take a look at the pitfall of having no discernment. What are the biblical principles that govern discernment? We want to learn three truths about discernment this morning. I'd like you to turn within your Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 17. 2 Chronicles, chapter 17, as we take a look all the way to chapter 20, spot highlighting some verses. From the life of King Jehoshaphat, we want to see some principles for discernment and how to apply it into our lives so that we finish this life well. And avoid the pitfall of having no discernment. In chapter 17 of Second Chronicles, in verses 1 to 5, we are told that Jehoshaphat is the son of King Asa, who we talked about two weeks ago. And he is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. He walks in the ways of the Lord like his father Asa before him and like his forefather David. Look at verse 3 and 4 of chapter 17. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. 
As we previously mentioned, because of his obedience to God's word, God blesses him. You see, if you obey God, he will bless you. But if you disobey him, he will discipline you. And because King Jehoshaphat obeyed God, the Lord blessed him. Look at verse 5. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance. God blesses those who are obedient to his ways and his word. But I want you to note something very special about his walk with God. Look at verse 6. And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. I'd like you to underline the phrase, took delight. Jehoshaphat delighted in the ways of the Lord. He enjoyed living righteously. Jehoshaphat was not compelled or obligated or forced to live righteously. He didn't follow God only to receive blessings and riches. Jehoshaphat obeyed God because he enjoyed an intimate walk with God. He enjoyed living righteously. As I've said it many times, there is a very big difference between having to do something and wanting to do something. If you feel you have to live out the Christian life, then you won't enjoy the Christian life. If you feel somehow you are compelled to live out the Christian principles that the Bible talks about so that bad things won't happen to you, then you will not enjoy the Christian life. A life of joy comes when you have an attitude that says, I love, I delight in walking intimately with the Savior. I love living a righteous life. And in the enjoyment of living righteously, Jehoshaphat wanted his people also to enjoy the word of God and to live out a life holy and pleasing unto him. As he is As his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord, he wanted his people also to have hearts that took delight in the ways of the Lord. And look what he does in verse 7 to 9. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hail, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanael, and Micah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And in verse 8, he sent with them Levites and priests. And what did they do? Verse 9. So they taught in Judah... And had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. Jehoshaphat sent out leaders and Levites and priests to teach the people the word of God. Why would the people so readily accept the word of God? Why would his leaders find the motivation to teach the people the word of God? It is because I believe they saw that King Jehoshaphat lived out what he taught. He modeled for the people what it means to learn the word of God and to live it out. And the people accepted the word of God because they saw that their king modeled it. One who the Bible tells us in verse 6, delighted in the ways of the Lord. That's why my friends, parents especially, I've said it many times, what you teach your children And what you desire your children to live out, you better model those things to your children. What you want your children to live out from the principles of the Bible, you have to live it out first because they're watching you. 
And if you're not living out the principles of the scriptures, that which you want your children to live out in character and in discipline, then you will have lost moral authority to tell them how they are to live according to the scriptures. Sadly, I know of Christian parents, even in our own church, who lie on their letters to the school, writing that their children are sick when in fact they really want to go on a family vacation just so that the school will grant their excuse. You may enjoy a wonderful vacation, but let me tell you, what does that teach your child? What impression will that leave to your child? Can you ever say again, do not lie to the authorities? Because the Bible says so when you have not practiced and lived out what you are teaching. I know of parents who lie about the age of their children at hotel buffets and at restaurants just to avail of a cheaper rate. And they do it without qualms, their children listening to their parents lying about their age. In fact, some parents, sadly, will even tell their children, please lie about your age. What does that teach you? And what does that teach your children when they see it? Where is the moral authority that you will have to tell them this is why you should live as the Word of God says when they don't see that you are doing it as well? I remember when our family took a vacation to Taiwan this past Christmas. Uh, I had booked online, and I made sure I booked a hotel room that could fit five of us. I had confirmation from the booking site Agoda that the room would indeed accommodate five. But when we arrived in Taipei and we were at the front counter checking into our hotel, the receptionist who checked us in said, Sir, just to let you know, your room is only for a maximum of four. Four people, and you would have to pay for the extra fifth person. In my sinful cell, for a split second, part of me wanted and was very tempted to tell one of my children, Please go hide somewhere. The lobby is really big. We'll sneak you in later. Once we've checked in, I'm sure many of us have done that. But then my wife and I were very unanimous after that split second of sinful thought. I said, yes, okay, because I can't find the confirmation letter. We will pay for that fifth child. Because the price of a fifth child's fare into that hotel room is not worth me losing my moral authority and testimony, not as a pastor, but as a parent in front of my children. They all heard it. You must pay for the fifth person. My naive, righteous children would have said, Dad, did we pay for the fifth person coming in? And yes, it cost us money. But again, balanced out, it was not worth us losing our moral authority and testimony. And that's something you and I need to think about as we reflect and parent our own children. I want you to see the result of this. Look at verse 10. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Now, it's very interesting. After we're told in verse 9 that the book of the law of the Lord was taught to all the people, one would expect that the result would be, and the people obeyed God, and the people loved God more. But to our surprise, the result in verse 10 was that the Bible tells us 
God struck fear in the hearts of the kingdoms that surrounded Judah that they did not dare attack Jehoshaphat. Because the word of God was taught and lived out by the people, God protected them. You see, sometimes many of us believe that if we live out the principles of the scriptures, if we take time to learn the word of God and live out the principles of the scriptures, that somehow our lives will be disadvantaged. That somehow by living out the principles of Scripture that we won't be able to succeed in business. That if we are faithful and love God, that we will not be able to accelerate ourselves in our academic pursuits. But what these verses show us is that when we study the Word of God, when we listen to the Word of God, when we live out the Word of God, God will see to it that He blesses And he protects us, even though we don't see it. Let me ask you this. Can you see fear in someone else? Would Jehoshaphat ever know that the the neighboring countries feared him and the God who protected over Judah? Of course not. But there was peace in the land because the people of the land honored God. When we do what is right... God does the rest. Never entertain the thought that somehow when you live out the Christian life according to the scriptures, that you will ever be disadvantaged. God will be no one's debtor. He has promised in the scriptures blessings in many forms. And that's why right after in verses 11 to 19, we find out that God blesses the kingdom of Judah and blesses Jehoshaphat and makes him both rich and powerful. Now, when we get to chapter 18, we find out in verses 1 to 3 that through marriage, King Jehoshaphat in the south is now loosely allied with King Ahab up in the north. And King Ahab wants Jehoshaphat to combine forces so that they can go and attack the king of Syria at Ramoth Gilead. I want you to see the response of Jehoshaphat in verse 4. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. As we talked about two weeks ago, a heart that really trusts God in all things will turn to Him first as a priority. If you say that you really trust God, then the first person you'll turn to when you make a decision or must make a choice is that you will seek God's counsel. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat does. Before he is to enter into a military alliance, he says, we must inquire of the Lord God if this is his will that we go attack the king of Syria. Verse 5. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? So they said, go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. King Ahab up in the north gathers 400 prophets to ask God if they should go to attack the northern kingdom of Syria. Now you need to remember that the kingdom of Israel up in the north didn't believe and worship the one true God, Yahweh. So these 400 prophets were false prophets. And so you have 400 false prophets telling the two kings, yes, you should go. It is God's will for you to attack them and you will be victorious. When news from supposedly the word of God comes through false prophets, it is not from God. 
You see, it's very hard to speak on behalf of the one true God, Yahweh, when you don't believe in the one true God, Yahweh. And for Jehoshaphat, the decision and the proclamation of these 400 prophets of a false religion didn't count. And he made a decision that he wanted an assurance from the one true God. Look at verse 6. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? He tells King Ahab, I want a prophet that is from the one true God. I don't care if 400 people tells me it is the right thing to do. I want an assurance from the word of God. From God himself that this is his will. You see, my friends, when you and I make decisions in life, when you and I make choices in life, you and I will wisely seek the counsel of many people. In fact, the book of Proverbs tells us if we want to make a wise decision, we better ask from counselors and advice from others what we are to do. And if you're going into business, perhaps, for sure you will ask business gurus and people who are in that industry sector, people who you deem are smart, what you should do. And it's wise and it's smart to ask counsel from others. But make sure in your counseling, or make sure as you obtain counselors, make sure you base your decision on God's word and on people who gives advice based on God's word and his principles. You see, I want you to see something here, number one. When it comes to discernment, number one, wise discernment must be based on truths from God's word. Would you write that down? Number one, discernment, wise discernment must be based on truths from God's word. For Jehoshaphat, he doesn't care if 400 people said the same thing. He wanted to know what was God's opinion on the matter. You see, discernment is not based on majority thinking. Just because the majority says this is the way it must be, it does not mean it is God's will in the matter. In the book Selling Jesus by Douglas Webster, he writes these words. The single most decisive support for new methods is popularity. If people are buying, the product must be good. Public opinion has become an arbiter of truth, dictating the terms of acceptability according to the marketplace. The sovereignty of the audience makes serious, prayerful thinking about the will of God unnecessary. Because opinions are formed on the basis of taste and preferences, rather than careful biblical conviction and thoughtful theological reflection. And he's writing to an American audience, and he says this, Americans easily become slaves of slogans when discernment is reduced to ratings. In our generation today, young and old, in the 21st century, we often make life decisions and life choices, and we decide on what we will do based on what everyone else thinks. We call it crowdsourcing in today's lingo. We ask everyone, what do you think about this restaurant? What do you think about this place? What do you think about this food? What do you think about my clothes? What do you think about this style? What do you think about this school? 
What do you think about this store? What do you think about the life decisions I must make? Imagine this. We crowdsource our life's decision. And I've seen it on social media. Young men and young women, oftentimes, asking people they don't know, what should I do as I come to the crossroads of my life? That's a scary proposition. Scary thought. When popularity becomes the right decision. When we scuttle prayerful thinking and asking God what is His will, seeing what the Bible has to say, and throwing out biblical convictions and thoughtful theological reflection, all because the majority says this is how you should act and this is how you should live. Do not base your life decisions and the choices you make based on what other people think. It must be foundation in the Word of God. 400 people said one thing, it was wrong. Only one who would stand up for what is right. What would you do if you were king in this case? Would you follow the advice of 400 or would you advise, follow the advice of one? We must make sure that our decisions are always in line with the Word of God and the biblical principles found in the Word of God. Or else it is no discernment at all. Because God's will will never contradict His Word. If you're looking for the will of God, make sure that you read the Scriptures. Make sure it does not contradict the principles taught in Scripture. Because God's will will never contradict His own Word. Some of us think that the Bible never has comedy. Look at verse 7, a bit of a com comedic episode. King Ahab says something funny, verse 7. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. In an almost comedic, childish complaint, Ahab says, There is one, but I don't like him. He always tells me bad things. Well, of course, if you're not following the ways of God, the prophet of the one true God will always tell you things that you don't want to hear. Well, they summon him. And it's a bit hilarious if you have the time to read verses 9 to 12 that the messenger who goes out to get Micaiah actually tells Micaiah, please, please be nice to King Ahab. Please tell him what he wants to hear. They're all pleading with Micaiah to be nice to King Ahab. But I love the prophet's response in verse 13. It is underlined in my Bible. Verse 13. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives... Whatever my God says, that I will speak. Micaiah was basically telling the messenger, I can't be bought. I can't be swayed. I will only speak what God tells me to say. And that's why we focus on the Word of God. That's what I tell you. Look at the Word of God as you discern God's will in your life. Because God's Word and His principle does not change. His immutability tells us he is an unchanging God and his word is an unchanging word. God cannot be bought. God cannot be manipulated. 
There is no bias in the truths that God tells us from the Scriptures. That's why we call it truth. Truth does not fluctuate. And so we want to filter our life's decision on the Word of God. We can know that the truth of God will not bend based on people's manipulation. Whatever my God says, that I will speak. Wise discernment must be based on truths from God's Word. Well, in verses 14 to 16, Micaiah tells the two kings that they should not go battle the king of Syria in Ramoth-Gilead because if they do, they will be defeated. And in verse 17, the king of Israel says to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? See, I told you. He doesn't say anything nice about me. And this is when Micaiah speaks up to defend the honor of God. And what Micaiah is going to do is he's going to reveal to us something that happens in the spiritual realm, in the spirit realm. And listen carefully, because this happens today. Verse 18. Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven sitting on his right hand and his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up, that he may fall, he may die at Ramoth-Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? Verse 21. So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Micaiah tells King Ahab very bluntly that the Lord has allowed an evil spirit to confuse and confound his prophet advisors that the advice they would give to him would lead to his death and destruction. Now remember that King Ahab was a king who did not follow the one true God. Because some of us may read this passage and we may blame God. And we say, wow, maybe God is the author of lies and deceit. Well, God is so manipulative. Why in the world would God do something like this? We do not blame God. While God may have allowed Satan to put lying spirits in the mouth of advisors to confound Ahab. It is Ahab who is to blame, who for years had refused to hear what was truth from God. And if you have refused to hear truth from the word of God, then you should blame no one if you hear from the council things that are lies. God will put lying spirits and allow lying spirits in the mouth of advisors and counselors of those who refuse to walk in the way of the righteous. This is the consequence when one has no discernment in choices and in decisions they make. You see, there's a lot of men and women and 
they blame God for all of the dumb choices they make in life. How could God allow me to make such a stupid decision? God, this is your fault. Listen carefully. It is no one's fault but yours when you and I make decisions and make choices about certain life matters. If you walk the way of the righteous, then you will seek God in His Word to make those decisions. But God is under no obligation to keep telling you, no, this is the way you should do it. No, this is the right path when you choose to walk the way of the wicked. Don't you blame God for the decisions that you make. That should be a wake-up call to us. The second principle about discernment, number two. Wise discernment is needed because there are lying spirits in this world. Wise discernment is needed because there are lying spirits in this world. We have been given a glimpse into the spirit realm. And in this cosmic spiritual battle between the forces of God and the forces of the evil one, there are in the demonic realm spirits that lie and they pervade this world. And the world calls out to you with the lies of the evil one. And unless we are wise in our discernment, we fall into the trap of these lying spirits. Remember, not all advice is good advice. Not all advice is good advice. If you're only looking for advice that only confirms and advances what you want, then be very careful because it may not be the will of God. But God allowed it only because you care not about His will, but you care only about what you want. I think the story of Michael Shannon illustrates this point. It tells a story of a man who put this sign in front of his auto repair shop. He was competing with some other auto repair shops uh, that were uh, pricing their repairs very cheaply. And this man wrote a sign in the front of his store. Beware of bargains in life wraps, brain surgery, parachutes, and auto repairs. You get what you pay for. There's a lot of truth in this statement because there are truly some points in life when you don't want to buy things that are the cheapest, right? If you're going to go out and buy a parachute as you skydive, are you going to buy one made in China that is the cheapest? Probably not. If you do, it's at your own risk. If it doesn't open, it's on you. If you want to get brain surgery, are you going to say, I'm going to look for a doctor that's the cheapest. He may not have any experience, but that's okay. He's the cheapest. Of course not. We want the one that has the most experience. You get my point. Shannon also talks about when religion plays a part in that. There was a cultist, someone who was part of a cult. He came knocking on the door of a man in a village. And after hearing his proposition, the man said, come on in you offer me a better deal than the one I'm getting at the church. Sometimes we need to go beyond what looks good to find real value, to find the truth, 
to find God's truth because the world is presenting itself with the cheaper, the nicer, the better option. Hey, you don't have to live out the Christian life. That's too much trouble. Why don't you take the easy way out? You come, be part of the vocal majority. You'll be well-liked. You'll succeed in life. Everyone will accept you. Come on. It's so much easier. The church down the street, what they offer, they offer a bunch of real difficult things. You've got to go to Bible study. You've got to join a discipleship group. You've got to come to church on Sundays. You've got to pray and ask God. What a, what a waste of time to keep asking for God that seemingly doesn't answer immediately. You just make a decision with the capability that you have. Surround yourself with business titans that will help you. Join a fraternity. Join an organization. Join a society group. We'll be the ones that help you. You don't need Christianity. The world is selling to us a life that is easy and cheap. But be careful, those are lying spirits. And it takes a man of, or woman of wise discernment to be able to filter through all the things we hear from the world. Remember, you reap what you sow. You can't blame the lying spirits because the decisions and the choices are that which you make and they are your responsibilities. In verses 23 to 27, we find out that Ahab, after hearing this, throws Micaiah into prison. What happens next? What will they do? They've heard from the 400. They've heard from the one true prophet. For reasons I do not know, and they are not stated in the Bible, Jehoshaphat foolishly decides to go to war with Ahab against the king of Syria. He fell into the pitfall of no discernment. Now you can get all the counsel you want. You can even get two opposing views. But at the end, remember, the decision is still yours. Will you act on godly counsel or not? And for whatever reason, Jehoshaphat does not act on what the prophet Micaiah tells him. And so we find out in verses 28 to 31 that the armies of Israel and the armies of Judah join forces and they are utterly defeated by the king of Syria. In fact, Jehoshaphat is almost captured. Look at verse 31. So it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, It is the king of Israel. Therefore they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. And God diverted the enemy forces from him. God graciously saves King Jehoshaphat. If you read verse 32 to 34, we find out that King Ahab of Israel does indeed die, as was prophesied by the prophet Micaiah. If you fought this battle. Well, what happens? Chapter 19, verse 1 to 3. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Nevertheless, good things are found in you in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. That is why God gave Jehoshaphat a second chance. Look at verse, chance. Look at verse 3. 
Even though Jehoshaphat disobeyed, fell into the pit of discernment, God gave him a second chance and he would have to learn from this lesson. You have prepared your heart to seek God. Thankfully, God is a God of second chances. And although we fall into the pitfall of having no discernment in the decisions we make, God is so gracious and so patient that he often protects us and helps us to make sure that the dumb decision we make do not spell our doom. But please do not test God. Do not test God. And keep thinking that God will always come to the rescue because there are always consequences to our decision. Our Heavenly Father, through His Son Jesus, forgives sin. But that forgiveness of sin doesn't always mean eradication of consequences. Sin always has consequences. I want you to see from this the third principle about discernment, number three. Wise discernment must lead to action on that decision. Wise discernment must lead to action on that decision. Even if you have all the head knowledge of all the opinions of how you are to make that decision, even if you know what is right and what is wrong, what is righteous and what is evil, unless you act on it, it's useless. It's useless. It's about as ridiculous, hypothetically, perhaps, if this happens. Let's say, hypothetically, I had a bag of lapids chicharron, a big bag of pigskin, although it's not really hypothetical. They do have bags of lapids chicharron. And I want to sit down, and I want to eat the whole bag. And I want to see, if I eat this whole bag of chicharron, how many calories would it be? And so I look at the back, and... If you want to know how many calories a bag of chicharron, it's in the thousands. And I say, well, you know, I, I could eat this whole thing, but there's a lot of calories. I, I probably should have, maybe one or two pieces, but you can never only have one or two pieces. And I know because you too have finished the whole bag in one sitting. And so I want to research about what all these calories would do to my body. And so I see what it does to my cholesterol, and I see what it would do to block my arteries. In fact, I asked a lot of my friends, people in the health professions even, if I eat this bag, should I or should I not eat this entire bag of chicharron? And everyone would tell us and tell me, no, of course not. Don't eat this whole bag. And then guess what? With all of this decision, I still eat the whole bag. You say, well, this is ridiculous. Why would you even ask? Why do you even ask if you're going to do it anyway? And we all do it. But that is a snapshot of how we make decisions in our life, isn't it? Isn't it? We ask everyone. We go to Sunday school. We go to church to learn what is right and what is wrong according to the Word of God. We have head knowledge. We've been to all the Sunday school classes. We've taken all the courses the school is all, that the church has offered. And then we still choose to do wrong. Unless you act out on it. Head knowledge means nothing. Sometimes you wonder why smart people do dumb things. You want to know why smart people do dumb things? Smart people do dumb things because they do dumb things. It's no secret. Smart people do dumb things because they do dumb things. They could be the world's smartest person. They could have head knowledge. They could have read the encyclopedia. They, they could memorize the scripture word for word, all 66 books. 
But even the wise can do foolish things if they act out on the foolish things. Wise discernment must lead to action on that decision. Well, good thing Jehoshaphat learns from his lesson. He realized that he almost lost his life following a lying spirit. And so with even greater fervor, he wanted his people to not only know the word of God, he wanted them to live righteously. Remember earlier, a few chapters ago, we found out that he had all of his leaders and Levites and priests teach the word of God. Now he wanted the people not only to learn the word of God, to live it out. Verse 6 of chapter 19, he appoints judges throughout the land of Israel. And what does he tell them? Verse 7. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. He wants them to understand that there is no difference between king or commoner. If one who does not follow the wisdom of the word of God, they could potentially lose their life in a decision that they make. Tell the people there is no partiality when it comes to God. There is no taking of bribes. There is no iniquity with the Lord our God. Everyone is under the rule of God, and they are to live it out. And in verse 9 to 10, he sends out other leaders and priests, and look what he commands them in verse 9 to 10. And he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. Whatever cases come to you from your brethren who dwell in their cities, whether of bloodshed or offenses against law or commandments, against statutes or ordinances, you shall warn them. Why? Lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this and you will not be guilty. He tells his leaders and he fans them out throughout the country and says, not only must you teach them the word of God, you must teach them that they must live out the Word of God. The Word of God needs to be acted out. Warn them. Warn them what happens. Because he experienced it himself, almost losing his life. Warn them that if they trespass against the Lord, then wrath will be upon them. So it is a fair warning to us. If we do not have wise discernment, that leads to the implementation of it in our lives through action and be ready for the consequences. How does Jehoshaphat's life end? How did his rulership end? Good thing it actually ended well. Turn over to chapter 20 with me and let's see how it ends. Chapter 20, verse 29 to 32. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. So Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 25, excuse me, he was 35 years old when he became king. And he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shilhi, and he walked in the way of his father Asa and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. He ended well. 
It wasn't that he was perfect. In fact, there were other incidents in his life where he fell into the pitfall of not acting wisely. But in verse 32, he tried with his very best desire because he delighted in the things of God to do what was right in the sight of the Lord, to wisely discern what God had for him. You see, we all fall into the pitfall of making wrong decisions without discernment. And by the grace of God, He protects us. He is merciful and He gives us a second chance. But remember, sometimes a wrong decision can cost us our very lives. And that should be a wake-up call that every decision we make is centered in the will of God. Knowing that all around us in this world are lying spirits who seek to destroy us. It is important, it is imperative that we learn to discern that which is good from that which is evil. And we do it by reading and learning the Word of God. It is as simple as that. Unless you, my friends, take the effort and the time to learn and study the Word of God, then you and I will be lacking in discernment. But equally important is not only reading and learning the Word of God. You and I must live it out. You and I need to apply it and live it out. It's scary to think that the decisions of our lives and my life, of which I've made many mistakes, could cost us our lives, but I've seen it all too often. One decision affecting the rest of our life. That's why it's important to understand that you and I have a biblical mandate to discern, to be wise in the choices we make. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would be your guide as you make decisions in life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Through the life of Jehoshaphat, we're reminded of how important discernment is. Many of us have been fooled by the world because the lying spirits of this world have gotten to us. And they're able to get to us because we don't take the time to study your word. We choose to willfully not know it, somehow thinking we are exempted or somehow thinking the less we know, the more we can claim innocence. Help us to be challenged this morning to, as Jehoshaphat did, delight in the things of God, to desire to learn the Word of God, and equally important, to apply it in our lives so that we can make wise decisions that will bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.